Welcome to the Making Money in the Music Business podcast, where we share insightful views on a variety of topics in the music industry that can help you make more money from your music business. And now, here are your hosts, Dr. William E. Smith and Kenya McGuire Johnson. Hey, Kenya, we are back. We are back, Dr. Smith. And we have a really yep. good, we got another good episode. Everybody can hear me smiling, even though they can't see me. They can hear me. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I right. get all excited. I get excited. But yeah, yeah. So it's it's May and it's, um, by the time people hear this, they're hearing this on Memorial Day. So That's happy right. Memorial right. Day to everybody. And happy Memorial Day. Every day has felt a little bit like a holiday, I guess, kind of. I don't, it's not like we're not going into work. You know, anyway, it's a little bit different this year, but hopefully people can still barbecue at home and, you know, right. still celebrate. So. And stay socially distanced. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Don't get me started. We're we going to have to do a COVID, <laughs> COVID episode of Kenya's bitterness. Right, but anyway, right. let's keep going. So, <laughs> yeah, well, I got our music tip for the day and it's uh-huh. uh, basic, basically simple, just some somewhat like the last one. Um, but I would say that now is the time to not just sit down and do nothing. <laughs> it's the, actually the time to release your stuff. Um, mm. Basically, everything that you were planning to release and put out, just put it out now. Um, and the reason for that is uh, the quality of of stuff that's coming out now. No one has the access to that huge production budget level quality. Uh, in terms of videos, in terms of, terms of stuff. So it, it basically levels the playing field and it's democratized uh, all the releases, the videos and everything. So, you know, huge stars, their videos look like everybody else's because we're all at home. Um, yeah. So go, uh, go ahead and put your stuff out there. And also to, it's now the best time for to get deals on mm. everything, mm. <laughs> whatever you wanted. Uh, everybody's trying to sell it getting, and trying to get some cash in their their coffers. So, uh, you, it's the time to get your get the the stuff that you wanted, software packages, everything. So, yeah, there's yep. going to be sales because yeah, people are trying to do sell their stuff. And 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 it's tar- in terms of like releasing things. One of the things I've been also telling um, independent artists, you know, if you don't have something ready to release, or you know, I I don't I I. Do we think I do think we have to be a little bit careful that we're not just being too competitive that we're rushing and we're watching the Joneses across the street doing it so I better do it too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, you know, it still needs right, to be quality. Right. It still needs to be good. So it it could also be a time just to um build your content and and um don't feel like you have to be in a rush per se because you don't want a bunch of crap also <laughs> being released. So it's yeah, still, yeah. it should be good. It should still be good, right? I don't want to just see like. It should definitely be good. And yeah. and if you look at what's what's out there, like even um, all the shows, the talk shows, all these things, they're doing them out of their house. And, yeah. Uh, yes, the pr- production level is, is still good, mm-hmm. um, but it's not like they're in the studio. You know, it's not, it's not right. the, the top notch production. So that's, that's sort of the point is just, um, still do good stuff, yeah. But you can use your house as as your base. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we're gonna have to do an episode on monetizing and doing, you know, doing beyond live streams. 
um, in this day and age as musicians because I've I've got some ideas behind that. So we're going to save that. Write that in your notes. Right, right. (laughs) Because I've been attending some different little talks and chats and powwows about, you know, how can we go beyond um, maybe what traditionally or what so many people are doing and and bring another element um, to to, to Mm. pull in people. So... Today's podcast is brought to you by Bandzoogle. From garage bands to Grammy winners, Bandzoogle powers the websites for thousands of musicians around the world. Their simple step-by-step system will get you online literally in minutes. You can choose from dozens of mobile-friendly templates, then customize your design and content in just a few clicks. Built for musicians by musicians, Bandzoogle has all of the features you need for your website and EPK already built in. This includes tools to sell music and merch commission-free right on your website, stream your music with flexible options for music downloads, commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscription features, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send professional newsletters, integrations to pull in content from your online services, including YouTube, Twitter, and SoundCloud, and live support from their musician-friendly team. Not one, not two, but seven days a week. Banzoogle plans start at just $8.29 per month. Yep, that's what I said, just $8.29 per month. And includes your own free custom domain name. Gotta love that. Go to Banzoogle.com to try it for free for 30 days. And be sure to use our promo code, MAKINGMONEYPOD, to get 15% off the first year of your subscription. That's again, Making Money Pod to get 15% off the first year. Maybe our guests, they might be able to give us some suggestions. They, Maybe. they, 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 because they, they are in, they are releasing new stuff right now. So before we get all into that, let's let, I want to, I'm really excited about introducing um, this duo and, um, Ah, where do I begin? I, I was kind of, before we went on recording, um, I had told them kind of how I got connected with their manager and so that we can make sure that we can make this happen. But those of you who are not familiar, um, many of you are familiar. If you are a jazz head, then you are definitely familiar with um, this group, uh, this wife and husband group. Um, and I, ah, oh, geez, I, I, I'm going to let them tell their story, but... I feel like I've known them for years, even though they just met me 10 minutes ago. But <laughs> the, the reason is because I've, I've really literally grown. Um, I've grown up and been with their music because they're both coming from such rich backgrounds in music. And I have watched them just really develop through their artistry and now become just such a phenomenal group together. Such a beaut- making such beautiful music that to me goes a bit beyond jazz goes a bit beyond soul. Um, and many of you are, you know, may not, uh, may not know their background. So I'm going to let them share that more, but we want to welcome the Baylor project. Hey. And their names, they, they are Baylor's, but it's really Jean and Marcus Baylor. Correct. Make sure everybody yes, knows you're yes. yes. <laughs> 
<laughs> so welcome to our podcast. We have a lot of fun here because we we let our we let our guests tell their stories. I don't like sitting down reading just a bio. Um, this will be a little unique because I was telling them we have two people as our guests at the same time. So you guys get to battle who's going to talk first and second and all that. <laughs> but we would love to hear. Just tell our audience a little bit more about Baylor Project and kind of how you guys came together to to do this duo together. Well, uh, <laughs> I would have to give my husband the credit for the Baylor Project because he came up with this idea and I honestly thought it didn't make any sense. <laughs> I was like, yeah, no. Um, and so he ha- gets in this space where he like takes his long showers from time to time. And I know if he's in that shower for more than like 10 minutes, I'm like, Oh Lord, are he going to come up with something, <laughs> something big and hard to do? And so he, he's like, I have this idea and, and, and it's a thing where, you know, we can both just be free to create, be, be fully creative. Him as a drummer, me as a singer. And then, um, he said, it's going to be jazz. It's going to be the two of us. I'm like, that's, yeah, it makes no sense. So I'm glad I just went ahead and went with it. <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you allowed him to take leadership <laughs> with that and, and, and move toward that. Um, because it, it's really, it's working really, 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 really well. Um, and I don't know, Marcus, if you, how did you feel with her kind of being like, Ooh, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a process, <laughs> used to it. you know, yeah, pretty much used to it. So whenever she says something is a dumb idea, that mean, if Jean tell you that, that mean to go with it. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, it was, a, it was a discovery process. Uh, we started playing at a jazz club in New York City called Smoke, uh, uh, which mm. where we got our start. And so we would do a residency twice a month, which was like a uh, seats, like 50 people. But it would be three sets, seven, nine and 1030. And that's where we were able to cultivate our sound. And and how that happened was because Gene did a gig with the uh, great Buster Williams and a club owner Hmm. asked if, um, you know, if she would like to do something. And Hmm. next things next. We decided, hey, that would be a perfect time to launch the Baylor Project. So we told everybody we knew. And one of the things about us is that uh, we felt like it was important to get the blessings of one of the elders. And for us, Buster was my teacher at the new school in New York City. And Mm. so that was really a a great launching pad for us in terms of just being able to, you know, from Gene to be able to be a part of Buster's band for that weekend and just learn from, from mm-hmm. that experience. And we knew once we started the Baylor project, we looked at it as sort of like starting over, although we both had a name, but we still had to try to get bodies in the seats. And so right. that really helped with the business side of things and, and, you know, and building, which led to us being able to start doing a, a bigger venue and then which led to jazz festivals. And we, and during this time we were doing everything ourselves. I mean, managing ourselves, booking ourselves, marketing ourselves, and we have our own label be a light. And so uh, years later we released our debut album, the journey, which was on our label be a light and still have our own independent label, which we do things, but now we have a booking agent and, 
you know, and have people, team and publicity that we work along with as well. Awesome. 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 Well, I'll take uh, over, Will, so. I know you will. Uh, you. Uh, uh-huh. uh, go. Go, okay. hurry. No, just play. Well, <laughs> just, just as you mentioned that, just so so we can get a little bit of information on how that process was, um, what, I guess, can you give a, a scope of the amount of time it took from you all doing it yourself, um, you know, organically, and then actually bringing a team on, uh, booking agent manager, all these these aspects. Uh, what what was that time window like, and and then also, how did you acquire a, um, a agent? Oh, you know, everything is a process. Is something that we've learned. So from getting that first gig to you know developing a following where you can have multiple gigs, even to attracting a booking agent or attracting um, people <clears throat> that you can add to your team. So, um, and and the thing is, a lot of times artists can get very discouraged when it's difficult to sign on with a booking agent or manager or something like that. But the flip side to that in all reality is that the booking agent has to have something to work with. So if you just sign with somebody from the beginning and they're trying to literally sell you as an artist or as a band, as a performing act, to clubs or presenters or who's ever, you know, hiring, performing bands, everybody, it's like an ecosystem where everybody kind of functions off everybody else. So if we're able to create enough awareness, enough uh, excitement or hype, um, if we're able to create and develop an audience where people are going to want to come see us and some kind of demand, basically, then mm-hmm. the booking agent has something to go off of to sell us to a presenter. So um, I know that partially answers your question, but it was just that process that we had to go through. Yeah. And I also think, yeah. I, I, I think that um, the main thing that artists have to understand is this, you know, just because you have a booking agent doesn't guarantee gigs. That doesn't necessarily guarantee uh, that you're working a lot. Uh, at the end of the day, as artists, we have to understand one word, which is value. You know, being a uh, Christian, I understand your gift makes room for you, but your Mm -hmm. gift is your talent, your music uh, ability. Of course, you get your presentation together, which was smoke for us. And then once we kind of, you know, started uh, cultivating that audience, the key of it is with the value side of it is, is knowing how to put bodies in seats. And so after you start working hard, you know, working hard as you can, and I'm going to tell you this, when it comes to time, it's, it, 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 for us, it takes up everything. And there are a lot of gigs that, you know, that we might've, you know, side man work that we, that we had to cut out because we wanted to make this our number one priority. And, and mm-hmm. I'm, and I'm not saying for all, but I just felt like if I start playing some of these same venues with other artists, sometimes it's a challenge to bring back your band because sometimes the presenter or promoter could, could say, Oh, you were just here with such and such. So mm-hmm. it's a sacrifice at the beginning. It uh, When you want to know how long it takes, I think sometimes I feel like um, it's a, I'm not going to say lifelong journey, but it's, it's a journey in terms of as an independent artist, what you're battling against is becoming a part of a system. And when I say the system, I'm saying in terms of places where 
you know, where it, you know, when it started paying and, and it cost to maybe get an ad in a magazine or to add your music to radio or, you know, sometimes being signed to a label, automatically that project could get moved up to the front based off the relationship and the value of that particular brand. And so that's what you really have to understand, because a lot of times as artists, we can take these things personal, but I don't mm-hmm. feel like it's really a personal thing. I think it's uh, more so understanding branded and value because that company or whatever brand needs to get it out to the listeners or need to fill seats or need to get sales. And so with that, that's why you see a lot of times it's easy to say, hey, like with our music, a lot of times somebody will say, hey, you got a, you got any guests on your album? We're not against having guests. I mean, for us, we like making a musical decision first if it fits it. But I get it. Sometimes if you have guests, they feel like it gives that product a better chance of getting seen or getting heard or, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah. hey, that's just, a, you know, that's that's just the nature of man, of, of, of the business. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Well, my, I think my, I really am curious to know because, and I want our audience to understand both of your background because you both come from incredibly popular spaces, um, signed, you know, you were both signed artists, you know, prior to coming together in this. And I don't want to kind of give away what you, you know, who you were associated with or what you were doing before. I'd like for you to share with our listeners, um, I don't know, Jane, you can go first. What, I mean, there's obviously a group that you're a part of that was pretty major and fun (laughs) and going from that um, to essentially becoming independent artists, like you just said, really having to grow that again. So if you could just tell our audience what you were doing prior to this musically um, and how how it's been to kind of start over and and become, you know, and, and build that in a different kind of way. You was a part of Shirley Caesar and the Caravans 2.0. What? What did it? Uh, 2.0. You came after Shirley Caesar. I wish, right? They, I, I think they would have kicked me out of the group. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love Shirley Caesar. Um, no, I um, in the nineties, fresh out of college at Temple University, I was part of the R&B duo Jeanne. And um, it was an era in the early 90s. You know, it was a great time. And mm-hmm. we were signed uh, through KG of Naughty by Nature's label. He had a label. His first label was Ill Town, and that was signed to Motown. So mm-hmm. um, we were Motown artists and for about seven years, two albums. And um, it, was, it was a good time. And wow. it, it's been quite a process going from the major label system to an independent system. Both of them are, have advantages and disadvantages. Um, both of them just, you know, it's, I love the fact that I've been blessed to have both experiences because I can take mm-hmm. some of the things that I learn while being on a major label and incorporate those in what we do. Um, and, you know, it's it's just a great process. And Marcus has similarly had that process as well. Uh-huh. So yes, he it, does. It just all adds <laughs> to the experience. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess for, for me, when I joined the uh, Yellow Jackets, the first album that we worked on was called Mint Jam, in which uh, it was an independent release. And mm. that was the first time... Was that the first? Yeah, that was probably the first time that 
uh, that I've been a part of a, a project on that level in terms of independent, but it taught me about how to do your albums on your own. And then after that, we end up signing with a label called Heads Up, which distributes, which end up distributed through Concord Music. It was Telarc first. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it was mm-hmm. it was a great experience. I mean, what I tell people is, I think signing the labels, there's nothing wrong with it. I think it's great. I think my main thing is, whatever business opportunity that it is, I think it's about partnership. And so basically it's just negotiation. And right. if, yeah. if that can work for you, then I think it's great. So I, I yeah. think more so artists have to look at things from a business perspective. Um, after doing everything that we did, paying for everything, scheduling photo shoots, mixing and mastering and having our own studio and scheduling everything, I definitely can understand why labels do what they do uh, in yeah. terms of ownership. I mean, if you if you have to put all those things together, you may think a lot of the same ways. I'm not saying that everything is correct, but I think artists need to understand the one word again is value. Because when you bring... Yeah you know, your talent to the table, which is great, but also there are other things that you can bring to the table that you can start cultivating. And I think a lot of those things came together for us in terms of understanding marketing and branding once we have to do it for ourselves. Yeah. Yes. Well, very well yeah. said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was just in this um, workshop. I was just going to say, I was just in this workshop talking about the importance of artists development and the development is is the business development too because there's just such a disconnect of really understanding um you know the building process of 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 how you do this <laughs> in a way where you are I don't want to say necessarily competing with labels but that you're in the same lane so that your stuff is you know if I'm going over here and I'm listening um you know, to whoever is, I'm just going to say like Lettucey or something or, or Jill Scott or people who are, if you want your stuff to be played on that same station as them, then your stuff has to be leveled with that. You don't have to sound like them. You don't have, you know, you still be you, but your business and your, and you know, your whole acumen has to be within that space and you can do it because a label is still just people, you know, you just have to be able to understand the the process. And so, yeah, thank you. for Yeah. Yeah. I, I give you a quick that. story. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny because when I was, I was working with Kenny Garrett, uh, some years back, this was like around the late nineties when I, yeah, it was actually my second week with, yeah, it was my, probably my, either my first or second week with Kenny Garrett and we were playing Yoshi's and a drummer friend of, friend of mine said, Hey man, you should come down and check out. We were in Oakland, California. He said, man, you should come down and check out this singer. And I'm thinking like, man, I'm tired after playing with Kenny. <laughs> First of all, that mm-hmm. was probably like my first week with him. And the energy that you have to give, yep, I was, you know, probably <laughs> tired, just wasted, <laughs> woe out. And I went down to this club called Bruno's. I think it was in San Francisco, or oh, probably Oakland or San Francisco, one of them. And the singer was in there with her band. And she was wearing it out. It was un, it was it was like one of those things where that never, that never ever happens. I mean, not that you, mm-hmm. I don't see great singers a lot, but to see it on that level and that singer was Lettucey. And what was crazy is after that Lettucey, you know, we became friends and mm-hmm. she was probably the first, besides my brother, Dave in St. Louis, who does music, who introduced me to all this studio recording and music and albums and 
wanting to do this. Lettucey was probably one of the first people, this was like in the late nineties when she was one of the mm-hmm. first people that I seen uh, be independent. When I say she grind yep. to the points of where she was selling out her CDs and record stores in the Bay area, where she would actually take inventory and take her own CDs to the store, the whole nine. Yep. So when I look at her, I'm just like, wow, to see where she's come from, you know, and there's yeah. a great record called, I can't remember what her first record is called. It's an independent record, but it's a song called uh, Take Time to Get Away. Get away oh, Time. Yeah, she loses. She loses. Check that album when out. When she performs that live. Get out of oh, my, my God. On that album. Yeah. Great album. Got <laughs> you all singing now. Is it outstanding? No, Lettucey, to me, Lettucey is kind of, if you have a dictionary and picture of ind- how you start as an independent artist, like it would be Lettucey because she, yeah, she she showed how how you grind like this and, and, and bring it. And she's very transparent about that. You know, when you have, if you get an opportunity to hear her speak about her, you know, her career and, and getting to the point where she's at. And I, I do think a lot of, independent artists, particularly in Seoul, um, including myself, you know, watch Lettucey do that. And that was an educational process for me as an artist to say, wow, like, you're going to have to, like, grind, grind. Like, look what she had to do, <laughs> you know, to, to get there. So she's, a, she's an excellent example of that. And what's cool about Lettucey, I think, now also is she's showing that she can shift gears because she has, like, bo- like you guys are talking, she has both perspectives now. And... Um, knows how to kind of move in and out of as an independent versus as a label. So, let it us. Oh, she yep. out. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, uh, right, Jean, well. <laughs> if you could, uh, you touched on it earlier and when you were talking about the differences with having a major label contract and being an independent, um, what, uh, what are some of the advantages and disadvantages? Because I want People, we we talked about. We were just talking about a lot of the things uh, uh, on what it takes to to grind, basically grind and be an independent artist. But uh, there there are advantages to having a major label, um, uh, aside from you know them handling the uh, the the studio aspects of things. Um, but what I, I guess I, I want um, our listeners to understand what that situation entails. Um, and and some of the the, the of course every, everybody looks at the glamorous part, but I want you mm. to sort of just t- talk about what was going on in that time when you actually had a hit record, a hit song, you're in front of people. What are you, the demands on your time? What all these other aspects? I want uh, to give a scope of that. Oh yeah, you know the hype and the glory of it all always looks bigger and better and brighter than it really is. <laughs> um, that's the smoke and mirrors of it. Um, and so as a major label artist, the advantages are obviously budgets. You know, the labels have um, funding and dedicated budgets for the projects. You have an entire label with different departments that are handling different aspects of your recording from, you know, the art department that handles your photo shoots and you have um, the A&R department that's helping you to figure out creatively what you need to do to write and produce your record, whether it's hooking up with other songwriters and producers or coordinating studio sessions, all that stuff. You have project managers who then communicate with each department, the manufacturing side of it and 
with the release schedules and all of that stuff. And that's the organizational part that I was exposed to that we are able to bring to our independent label and situation. Obviously not at that level, um, but mm-hmm. we understand, okay, we've got budget that we got to try to stay on and how we're going to make our money back and um, how we're going to handle the sales, um, all mm-hmm. that stuff. Um, the downside of the major labels that generally speaking, you don't have ownership of your product. Um, but then why would you? Because they pay for everything. Um, as an independent artist, you have a more realistic and balanced perspective on that because you then are paying for everything. And you're like, wow, back when I was complaining (laughs) that the label didn't do anything, they actually did a lot. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, they got to take care of the overheads of all those individuals that work at all those departments. And they send you on a, back in the day, I don't know what they do now, but back in the day, they would send you on a promotional tour all across the country in areas that were specific to whatever music you were doing. I remember they sent us to Japan and London and different parts of Europe on promotional tours on connecting the press and radio interviews and all that stuff. Now, if we do that, we have to do that or have somebody on our team try to reach out and do all that kind of stuff. So it's that systematic approach um, that kind of adds in a certain amount of built-in value that you have that you just can't pay for as an independent artist. Right. Um, Yeah. Nor would you want to because it's, too hard to make the money back, even if you had the money. Right. Um, on the flip right. side, as an independent artist, you have full, complete, utter, complete control over everything you do artistically and writing and producing and who you want to work with and when you want to work with and how you want to release your album and when you're going to release it. You can decide at a moment's notice, you I'm going to throw a mixtape out next week and then do it. Or you could decide mm-hmm. to roll out a plan over six months or a year, or you get to decide everything. But you got to be ready to be able to decide those things. You can't right. be 100% creative and artistic all the time. You can't function like an artist a lot of times. You have to put that artist hat on and then take it off and put the business hat on. And you have to be able to see things that way um, without the emotions that comes Mm. with being an artist. You know, Erica Badu said it best. You know, we all sensitive about our stuff and and we are. But when you're having a conversation with, you know, a radio promoter or whatever, you, you can't you got to throw that out. If somebody says they don't like your stuff, you got to take it and roll on with it. And it, it can't matter to you. Um, right. So that's part of the process. And then just being able to function and organize yourself in, in a way that you can function beyond the studio. That's always the easy part for us creatives because we that's what we do. That's who we are. But once you have mm-hmm. a product and even creating that product, understanding how made this may resonate with different people, um, if that matters to you, then, um, you know, that's that's a part of the process. Just having yeah. some type of business mindset um, and doing the things you need, need to do to increase that, whether it's reading different books or paying attention to what other people are doing or people that have nothing to do with music, you know, reading Inc. Magazine to see how people come up with businesses and how they develop them and that kind of thing. You can be inspired in 
by anything. And even also very, 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 very important, understanding the current climate. Because when, not if, but when the industry changes, when technology comes in and changes the way people function with music and how they value it and how they purchase it and how they listen to it and all that, that changes everything. So you have to be able to recognize when change is on the horizon and how you're going to respond to that and how you're going to change with it. But where you make it effective for you. So what may work right. for another artist, it may not work for you, depending on a number of criteria. So you have to be able to assess those things. Um, hopefully that answered the question. <laughs> oh, that was beautiful. That, yeah, that was no, it was perfect. So clearly stated, perfect. and I think everybody will get a lot out of that that perspective. Yeah. And I mean, you just pretty much hit the nail on the head in terms of explaining what that difference is. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, and yeah, and, and Marcus, real quick, because uh, we I know we're getting low on our time. I'm gonna have my last question in. You can take over after Kenya. Um, <laughs> I, I, I want to know. <laughs> I, 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 I want to know about um, uh, playing playing with the yellow jackets. Uh, that's some very challenging music, <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. I want to know um, just I guess from a, a operational standpoint. Um, what what it was like? Uh, some some of your takeaways, I guess, from playing with the group, and um, and and what uh, in terms of learning the music, uh, and and then actually going on and how you know because because I I have some some experience playing some challenging music, and I know that when you're on on stage and you're trying to remember everything because there's no sheet music in front of you, uh, it's not like a big band where you got charts and everything. You you got to remember all the hits. You got to remember everything. Um, so for, for some of our musician listeners, uh, what was the prep like for you uh, to learn some of that, um, I guess, in terms, I guess, time, time wise with some of the prep? And then, you know, and what was it like going out on tour? Uh, well, basically, so I joined the band in, I think, around 2000, but I started making some gigs around probably right after Kenny Garrett, like 99, 2000. Yeah, like maybe 2000. And so... um. Man, I remember when I first got the call, I thought it was a uh, my roommate could have been playing a joke on me or something. Because um, I, I, I never met the guys before. And I was based in, I was in New York at the time. So I wasn't even on, you know, I was doing mostly straight ahead stuff. And, and what ended up happening is, long story short, I'm a Christian guy. And so I remember a minister said, which actually my brother said that God was going to bless me. Uh, mm. like never before. And I never even, I never even thought about it. I just remember, you know, there were some things in my life that I needed to get together and I had get my life dedicated back to the Lord. And, and so, man, I remember I was fasting alone with my family's church in St. Louis mm. and out the clear blue, I received a phone call <laughs> from the guys, not to audition, <laughs> but to make some gigs. And my first gig was a workshop clinic at Berkeley School of Music. And I had, you know, finished college maybe mm. a year after that. So a lot of those guys that were there were my peers. And I'm thinking like, man. And so this <laughs> this is what I would say to musicians. So they might have sent the music out to me maybe about three months ahead of time, which Russell sent out a cassette tape and these charts. And I'm going to tell you, I was like, what in the world? <laughs> um and what's crazy is when you actually listen to the music, everything flows uh, flows yeah. through like water, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of yeah. 
just how the compositions are. But when you look at it on paper, you like section A, B, C, D. <laughs> Let's repeat, go back to. But my roommate at the time was a trombonist. Shout out to my bro, Dion Tucker, who was a great, uh, mm. who was a good, great reader. So I said, Dion, come in here for a second, bro. Uh, help me get this rhythm right. And so, man, I worked on, I probably pick like a song like every day for a couple months. And yeah. I really learned the tune because this is what I realized. When it comes to uh, joining uh, different bands and people's music, now you don't always have this kind of time and luxury. That's why it's important to really develop your reading and sight mm-hmm. reading. But uh, I want, when I join a band or play with a group, I always want to make them feel like they've been playing with me for years. And so right. what that means is it ain't about me coming in saying, let me do Marcus Baylor. It's about making them feel comfortable with you know, I studied Will Kennedy parts. I studied, you know, Ricky Lawson, what he, some of the stuff he was doing. Hmm. And so I realized over time that a nugget that I picked up from Jimmy Haslip while recording is that, hey, learn how to play parts. And over time, once we're touring, things would, it's going to, it's going to, um, you know, the sound gets cultivated and it's going to evolve way into something else. But the key for me was really just learning the music and, I'm thinking when we rehearsed for the first time, I thought it was going to be a long rehearsal. Man, it was literally only like an hour. But that was because of the preparation process that I took myself through. And I drive Gene crazy with this. When I actually learn people's music, it's it's a grueling process for the other person that's in the house with me. (laughs) It's like... The way I rehearse it, it's it's. I got to hear it all the time. <laughs> yeah, I really live with. It. Oh yes, every every single note. Wow, you're getting the Holy Ghost. Amen. <laughs> so, so I'm so I'm trying to. That's a treat. I really do my best to try to memorize it. But my first week of gigs, I definitely had the charts with me. Uh, yeah, and over time, you just get used to it. And, yeah. and, but yeah. it was amazing, man. I mean, touring with the guys, the band, I learned so much about music, uh, life, um, mm-hmm. being a band leader, creating a set list. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's why I think it's important for uh, musicians to play with other people first sometimes before having your own project. Cause you learn about, you know, although we were, we were four equal partners, uh, but I think it's important mm-hmm. that you, it teaches you how to be a band leader. Right. And, you know, just different things. But it was an amazing experience. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yellow Jackets, I was telling Will before, they're they're my top. I I grew up, my dad was a jazz drummer as well. And so oh, I grew wow. up listening to uh, Yellow Jackets since I was really, really, really young. And that to me was, that was how I thought it should always sound. Like what they did, I'm like, <laughs> oh, that's, that's jazz. Yeah, that's, I love that. I mean, and so when you were saying how everything flows... You know, I mean, that's the beauty of Yellow Jackets is they've got all this stuff happening, but it's just so I love Yellow Jackets. So I, that's 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 awesome. I know we're low on time we're, and I yeah, we're uh, out there. <laughs> we're about there. Yeah, but, no, it's, it's definitely okay. a pleasure. It's the, yeah, uh, it's I want to just they have a new ahead. single out and I think it's really important. Can they can they just say how people can tune into that and follow them? We have enough time for that, right? right? Yep. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, you, you, you can tune in to thebailerproject.com. We're on Instagram, The Baylor Project, Facebook, The Baylor Project. And we're working on a new album right now, uh, which is titled Generations. But in the middle of this quarantine, 
we put out a single call, sit on down for all those people that don't want to sit on the couch. They want to go out to the beach and hang out with groups of people. Mm. Go grab the song. And uh, we think about dropping a remix this weekend. So, ah. yeah. And we, yeah. Yeah. So we, we go across the board musically, but it's all for us. It all comes from our culture and, and from our people. So we don't necessarily think like jazz, R&B, gospel. Man, it's, it's musically, it's all the same. Right, right. Awesome. Make sure you guys tune in. And, and they're fun on social media as well. Jing, you were cracking me up with your hair situation. I, I was saying with your <laughs> That was a whole entire situation. <laughs> Ooh, my fingers was, was wore out. I was like, God, because I'm trying to grow it naturally. And um, yeah. it's a process for figuring out the right products and all that kind of stuff. And honey... <laughs> I was like, all right, I'm going to blow dry. But my hair is extremely tightly coiled. And uh, we had a different word for it in the 70s. Amen. (laughs) Well, she looks beautiful. If you go to her Instagram, she gives all, she's very transparent. So make sure. (laughs) It was a hot mess. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. We don't want to get cut off on anything, but we appreciate you and thank you for the like excellent, excellent information um, in terms of being an artist and grinding and, and doing it well. And, and they are Grammy nominated. We didn't get to go there, but yes, that that's it has paid off beautifully. So thank you yeah. so much. You're welcome. Yep. You're welcome. Another great episode, right, well, Kenya. Another great one. Another great one. There are more, more to come. So everybody enjoy your Memorial Day. And we will be back next week. Yep. We'll see y'all Thank next. y'all. Love y'all. Thank you. Uh, love y'all love too. y'all too. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this podcast episode. If you would like to join our new artist development program, the 3MB Club, please contact us via email at 3mbpodcast at gmail.com. Please subscribe to our podcast on your podcast player and leave us a rating and review. Also, please leave us a comment on our Facebook or Instagram page. And if you would like to contact us about a specific topic, you can email us at 3mbpodcast at gmail.com.